0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge of Wharton.
1: British Prime Minister Theresa May suffered a rather historic defeat yesterday by a vote Of 432 to 202, the British House of Commons said no to the deal. She worked out with the European Union to allow the U.K. to exit the bloc. While the rejection of the Brexit was not a surprise, the tally of the vote was. Mrs. May now faces another no-confidence vote today, her second in two months. She is expected, though, to keep her job. All the while, there are only 10 weeks Till the deadline for the United Kingdom to leave the European Union, though that can be extended. With more on this, we are joined here in studio by Brendan O'Leary, political science professor here at the University of Pennsylvania. And also joining us on the phone uh, from England is Eric Jones, professor of European Studies and International Political Economy at Johns Hopkins University School of Advanced International Studies. Brendan, Happy New Year. Good to see you again. Good morning, Dan. Thank you, Eric. Great to have you back with us. Good to hear you, Dan. Thank you. So, Eric, with your uh, position there in uh, in England right now, what is the sense of, of what is going on in the wake of the vote yesterday and the, the no-confidence vote today?
0: Well, everybody is looking at the debate on the no-confidence vote today in the sense is that, that Theresa May is going to survive this vote, but she'll have another vote on Tuesday on her new plan, which she's due to present on Monday, uh, and, and she's going to lose that one. So it's a, it, it seems to be a repetitive cycle of, of small gains and large losses that's not taking us anywhere very quickly.
1: Is it? Is it a surprise at this point to you, Eric, that Mrs. May would be able to pass this no-confidence no vote considering how much of a, a resounding no this vote was yesterday on her plan?
0: Well, it's not a surprise insofar as the, the, the DUP, the small little Northern Irish party that is supporting her government, Uh, would rather see her in office than face the prospect of a government headed by Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, And and many of the Tories who voted against her in that uh, historic vote that took place uh, are going to support her now because, again, they would prefer to support her than to go to elections. So as long as that tenuous balance holds, she gets to stay in office. She just doesn't get to accomplish very much.
1: Brendan, any surprise on the on the vote tally for you yesterday? Because from the reporting of it, this is historic from the perspective of not seeing this type of a vote or this type of a reaction in the House of Commons since the late 1800s, I believe, is the last time. It's even uh,
2: more strong than that. It is the largest ever defeat by a prime minister uh, in the House of Commons. And yes, I was surprised at the scale. Um, people were speculating that the... Uh, prime minister might lose by 200 votes and that was suggested was being put out as a way of uh, managing expectations with the realistic view allegedly that she would lose by over 100 votes therefore she would have room for maneuver this is an unprecedented and astonishing loss and we have a zombie prime minister who may well survive the confidence motion Uh, She enjoys um, a very strange uh, set of benefits, not only, as Eric uh, has said, does she have a supply and confidence agreement with the uh, DUP. There are two components to that, supply supporting the government on finance. The DUP voted against the government on a finance bill, so that's not really a supply agreement. And confidence, obviously, with the destruction of the premier piece of uh, negotiated international treaty, uh, the government plainly doesn't enjoy confidence. To get rid of the government requires uh, an overall majority in parliament plus one or a, a vote of confidence to that effect. But under new arrangements, let, let's say uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Corbyn was successful, there would have to be a, a two-week interval in which an alternative government could be formed <laughs> before um, there would be a general election. But let's pass, let's assume that she's going to win with the support of the DUP. As Eric suggests, whatever interim plan comes forth, uh, and uh, if we judge by her initial statements, nothing much is going to change and she will be defeated. So what can happen? What can happen is something that hasn't really happened in contemporary times. Parliament could establish a de facto or a de jure Parliamentary Committee that would take the management of the UK's exit out of the EU from the hands of the cabinet and basically structure things on the floor. For that to happen, they would require the cooperation of the Speaker. And so far, the Speaker has been quite cooperative. Some people think, even at this late uh, stage, that there's a possibility of uh, proposing a Norway-like arrangement with amendments. Right. And what this would mean is that the UK would remain in the single market and the customs union permanently. That would solve, the, the uh, at least temporarily, the Irish question, yeah. because there would be no need for a border across the island of Ireland. But it would make even more visibly palpable the pointlessness of exiting because it would sure. be clear that the UK would be in the single market and the customs union right. and in a secondary sense, subject to the jurisdiction of the European Court of Justice because the uh, the court that runs the European economic area in which Norway exists uh, along with some other smaller countries, that court follows the decisions of the Court of Justice of the European Union. So the question would be, why did we exit to make ourselves completely impotent? And it would just so,
1: put them in a, in a spot where they wouldn't basically have any voting power Correct. in the European Union. So that's not a stable
2: equilibrium. And yeah. you can imagine that the, the next general election would be a, a competition between those who say let's remain and those who say let's shift out of this position, break our treaty. But if they do br- uh, break any future treaty arrangements then the Irish question emer-
1: re-emerges with a vengeance. You uh, mentioned before we went on the air that you had just come back from Ireland. What is the The reaction to all of this going on right now in Ireland and and how are the people, how is the government feeling about this, what seems to be going to go right down to the wire if there is any solution at all?
2: No Irish government can see any adjustment in the backstop without falling. One has to remember that Leo Varadkar leads a minority government much more successfully than Mrs May leads a minority government. He has a supply and confidence agreement with the uh, second largest party in the Irish parliament, Fianna Fáil. If Varadkar appeared to succumb to uh, a weak need moment right now, he would lose the comprehensive solidarity he enjoys not only from Fianna Fáil but from Sinn Féin within Northern Ireland it's clear that uh, traditional polarization has occurred. Uh, uh, A majority of Unionists are rallying to the position of the DUP. All nationalists support the position of the Irish government. But it is clear that the Northern Ireland public would prefer the softest of all possible soft exits, which means the Norway option or something like Mrs May's deal. So the DUP has voted uh, against the uh, preferred second-best option of the, the Northern Irish public, for which it will eventually pay a political price.
1: It, it is amazing, Eric, to see this process play out over the last couple of years. And here we are just a couple of months now from from the, the, the exit date, and there is still no in no path no pattern it seems like to be able to try and find a a way to way out of this for the united kingdom they we've talked with this uh, with you about this before but there seems to be a perception of uh, of how much power the united kingdom actually has in this process and the european Union as brendan has mentioned really has put together a process that makes it very hard for any country in their in their union to exit
0: well, I think the, the the process is definitely challenging for any country to exit, given the nature of integration in the sort of modern international economy today. Uh, but the British situation is, is, is much further complicated by, by Northern Ireland. And, and I think what we're seeing in in this is that while on the one hand they had sort of vague ideas about what they wanted to do economically, on the other hand, no one in the United Kingdom had given the slightest thought to how this Northern Irish Irish problem was going to be solved in a, in a way that squared with their economic ambitions. And, and and it's that combination of factors, I think, that's been so debilitating. That and also, I think it's been very difficult for the British governing class, and Brendan should correct me here if I'm overstating the case, but I think it's very difficult for the British governing class to understand that the United Kingdom would not be supported in coming to a deal against the interests of the Irish Republic uh, when they look at Ireland as a much smaller country and less important to the European Union as a whole. And so they, they, they have failed to to see the extent to which the European Union was going to unite around Ireland as a fellow member uh, and, and look at the, the United Kingdom as somewhat askance. And then one last thing I would say, while there, while there was a popular majority to leave the European Union. There has never been a majority in the United Kingdom around what that leaving should look like. I mean, we're still even only in the first step of this process. Uh, And and there's no clear consensus on on how that that should progress.
2: Brendan? Eric is uh, correct. The uh, Irish are demonstrating the benefits for a small state of being a member of a collective confederation, which plainly is going to side with a member state rather than one that is exiting, no matter how big that power might be economically. Um, I don't think that the EU took this position lightly um, and... Uh, I don't think that one can interpret its behavior vis-a-vis the UK as um, a deliberate manipulation of the Irish question. Ireland was definitely going to take the position that it needed to defend the Good Friday Agreement in all its parts. It was going to prevent a a hard border. It was going to look after the rights of its citizens. Uh, And all of these things, uh, one mild correction to Eric, some people did point out these uh, difficulties that would arise if the UK left, most notably John Major and Tony Blair, previous centrist prime ministers went to Northern Ireland with two weeks to go before the final vote in the referendum pointing out all the difficulties that would, would arise. And the then incumbent Conservative Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, Theresa May who uh, does a very good imitation of Cruella de Vil um, <laughs> she, she, she she said all of these problems would be solved by technology. Yeah. And I have to, to tell you about the nature of that technology uh, Dan, which Conservative politicians know, apparently know all the blueprints on. This technology would be able to look inside cars and trucks identify all the goods and services inside those goods and trucks, identify their locations and assign relevant VAT rates to the to the relevant entities and the relevant uh, psychosanitary, uh, physiosanitary uh, conditions attached to each of them and and solve everything through the click of a computer button.
1: Of course it would. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. And
2: it's, it's amazing that people don't know about this technology yeah. and they haven't applied it everywhere else. Right.
1: Yeah. We're waiting for it here in the United Indeed. States right now.
2: And And... So absurd is this that this provision, the possibility of this technology has actually been built into the uh, draft treaty terms uh, to to appease that wing of uh, the Conservative Party that still indulge these techno-optimistic fantasies.
1: Well, seemingly, this is getting to the point of of absurdity on a few fronts. Uh, One of the things that you had sent me an article earlier today about the, uh, the, the issues around transport, and it's been something that we've talked about. But the, 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 uh, the Department of Transport in the United Kingdom apparently sent out a tweet right after the first of the year basically saying, planning your next holiday, we have plans in place to ensure you can travel abroad after March 29th. And seemingly that is not the case as we get closer and closer.
2: Well, uh, in the same story, as as you may recall, um, the Department of Transport is known to have made a contract with an enterprise that has no record of ever doing anything related to right. shipping or right. ferrying people or or goods. And to have them in mind as a contingent operator should uh, the port of Dover, the principal access port in England for goods coming and services coming back and forth. With, um, uh, across ferries. So the, the fact is the UK is not prepared for a hard exit and that's what uh, encourages the possibility of a, of a moderately uh, sensible outcome at the end of the day. Parliament knows that if there's a hard exit on March the 29th without a withdrawal agreement, the UK is in legal chaos, it's in economic chaos, yeah. um, supply chains are going to be massively disrupted, the UK will be dependent on Uh, centrally on the cooperation of the French, the Dutch, the Belgian, the Irish authorities where where, uh, uh, a great deal of their goods and imports come back and forth. There will, of course, be some uh, contingent bilateral emergency cooperation on all sides, but one would imagine another very serious fall in the pound and another uh, a fourth quarter of net fall in, in investment. Now, given that um, potential economic horror scenario as well as practical chaos for lots of people. Parliament knows that it must make a decision in the period ahead. Now, what we don't know is whether there is an emergent consensus for something other than May's deal. Uh, that could be, and I, I don't absolutely preclude it at this stage, that could be an agreement to settle things through a general election. Right. Um, from the point of view of the Labour Party, The reason a general election is being sought is, in effect, it would get Jeremy Corbyn, the leader of the Labour Party, off the hook on which he impaled himself. He supported uh, the outcome of the referendum, though he had not overtly supported that outcome during the referendum. And the Labour Party's current position is, uh, we seek a general election, and then if there is a general election, we will uh, follow what our conference agreed. And that almost certainly will mean that Labour would go into a general election arguing for a second referendum, but leaving its individual MPs free to campaign either for remain or leave in that subsequent referendum. So Labour would look forward to that scenario, and the question is, are there sufficient numbers of soft exiteers or Remainers in the ranks of the Conservatives who would prefer a scenario of that kind of a second referendum to co- cooperate with Labour to generate um, a, a mandate for a second referendum.
1: Eric, your thoughts?
0: Well, I think, I think Brennan is right on the political calculus. My, my brain always clicks over to how much of an extension they would be able to get on the European side of this. And we have a whole set of European processes that are kicking into motion right now to elect a new European Parliament, to appoint a new European Commission, The United Kingdom as a member state needs to be involved in these processes in some way, shape or form, so long as it remains a member state. So if they extend its membership beyond the 29th of March, significantly into the summer, then the United Kingdom actually has a a material obligation to, to be an active participant in a whole bunch of political decisions that the rest of the European Union may not want the United Kingdom to take. Uh, and any the extension under Article 50 has to be guaranteed by or, or agreed to by a unanimity of the existing EU member states. So w- while I, I agree with, with uh, Brendan completely about the domestic scenario as it's unfolding, I, I just wonder if there's time enough for that. Uh, particularly if these these machinations don't start much more quickly than they appear to be starting
2: I, I actually agree with you Eric uh, completely the the reason the date is as it is is precisely to allow the two-month campaign for the European parliamentary elections um, so that is a serious difficulty uh, what's interesting is that the Court of Justice made a, a very interesting ruling just before Christmas yep. which permits the UK unilaterally to rescind its invocation of article Uh, 50, which would mean in principle that it was retaining its membership and according to the court it would retain uh, its membership on existing terms. So far, nobody has proposed that in Parliament. They're all talking as if it would be a relatively easy matter uh, to postpone. Now I think if they did go to the Commission and the uh, European Council with a proposal either for a general election to settle matters or for a referendum, uh, the EU would consider it in its interests to allow the British that decent interval. Um, But it would be clear that if Remain is on the table, the UK would have to be ready for European parliamentary elections. And one of the things that Eric probably has in the back of his mind is that very few pro-Europeans want the scenario of UKIP re-emerging as the leading uh, UK party, uh, that's the United Kingdom Independence Party, as the leading UK party inside the European Parliament.
1: Eric?
0: Well, that's exactly right. I mean, we're looking at a a European Parliament from a European perspective that we already know is going to be filling up with political movements that are skeptical toward Europe. This is outside the United Kingdom. Uh, and, and, And with the United Kingdom still in play, the Conservative Party doesn't actually feature into one of the mainstream political groups because David Cameron pulled it out of that group as a as a concession to the more euro elements in his own party. We would have the Conservatives with a euro element. We would have UKIP present and this would further tip the balance of power in the European Parliament away from the political mainstream. So it's very concerning from a European perspective the idea of having the United Kingdom participate in these elections particularly, and this is the the point about the legal ruling that Brendan is discussing, particularly if the decision to rescind the declaration of intention to leave the European Union were not a good-faith decision. They wouldn't be rescinding it. They would just be doing an end run around the delay procedures in Article 50. Uh, That would be a very toxic political situation indeed.
1: What would the process be, Eric, if they decided that – they did want to go back on Article 50 and just basically renew their relationship as it has been over the last several years uh, with the European Union. What would the UK have to do in terms of process to be able to get there? I would imagine there are probably several things that have already been put into play at this point. Well, they would
0: they would have to they would have to repeal legislation in the British Parliament and they would have to move new. Uh, legislation, and Brendan, please correct me if I'm wrong here, they'd have to move new legislation to take back the declaration of intention of withdrawal. But but the appeal of the existing legislation I think is is the important piece Uh, and and then new legislation on top of that.
2: Well, they'd have a straightforward way of doing it, though uh, they'd have to pass it extraordinarily quickly. They would have to restore the original European Communities Act, which was subordinate uh, British legislation to European legislation and restore the entirety of the European acquis, Under no circumstances would they retain the minor concessions that David Cameron had negotiated just before the referendum. It would be the status quo ante before uh, those negotiations began. Um, I think that could be done if there was the will to do it right. so that could be done in a matter of days
1: right because it feels like there are at this point there are two options that being one and the other one is as you said remain in the single market but not and the risk, customs and union. the customs union and not really have the voting power
2: and, and have no independent uh, ability to make trade deals with others Correct. so um I think those are the, the there are three possible equilibria uh, one is uh, a resort to remain either through a rapid referendum or an independent parliamentary decision. Some version of Norway, which uh, is a very soft exit, which uh, is a, a compromised position yeah. uh, and uh, has therefore those merits attached, but is really a very unstable equilibrium. And then the third option, which will give European, uh, sorry, give uh, English people a, a lesson in aversion therapy. Uh, it's a hard exit without an agreement. Uh, disorderly, uh, legal, political, and economic chaos.
1: Eric, get your thoughts on, on this. It's something that we mentioned uh, before. Uh, but as all of this is playing out, what's the impact in your mind on the United States because of this?
0: Well, we just saw the, the, the leader of BlackRock come out and, and declare an intention uh, or his support uh, for, for a second referendum. Uh, I think that's because the United States investment community and the, the global investment community is looking at this and saying the possibility of that teachable moment that Brendan alluded to, a no-deal Brexit, has increased to the point that that they would like to see any political procedure in place to avoid that outcome. Because the exposure of the global financial community, and that would include the United States, uh, to the damage that would be wrought by a no-deal Brexit is considerable. So I don't think anybody really wants to see that. And the question is whether it can be avoided.
2: So U.S. capital is voting with its feet and it's also exercising voice. Um, they're relocating to Ireland, an English-speaking location for FDF, uh, foreign and direct investment. They're relocating to Amsterdam. They're relocating to Frankfurt in, in, in finance. Um, the Japanese are considering very seriously uh, whether to remove their capital as, as well. The U.S. government, uh, well, then we, we have to get into the mind of uh, our, our president. <laughs> and that's, um, as we know, that's a, a floating roulette wheel. Um, initially... Uh, the the president welcomed the possibility of UK exit yeah um, but also made it manifestly clear that it would be no easy matter to negotiate a trade deal with the United States now this has overturned decades of settled u.s bipartisan foreign policy consensus America was an agent in the uh, project of European integration, welcomed it as a way of avoiding war on the continent right. and organizing its European allies in opposition to Soviet and subsequent Russian uh, interests. It is bizarre that the U.S. is not a formal actor in encouraging its allegedly special partner, the U.K., to remain in its historic uh, 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 alliances and allegiances. And that's, of course, a, a destabilizing factor, which encourages some of the hard exiteers in the illusion that they could get a good trade deal with the United States once they were out of the European Union, uh, which is merely another one of the many illusions that they harbor.
1: So with all of this in play, let's go back to the one of the original points here, talking about Theresa May, because she has said that she would not run for re-election. We know that for a fact. Uh, and it seems like she is going to pass the no-confidence vote, which will which will happen today as well. But the expectation still is is that she is going to be out of office at some point, I would think, in the next several months.
2: Um, well, I, I think she's rather like a zombie. Um, she's a dead woman walking. Well, every time we announce her funeral, she emerges from the grave and, yeah. and keeps walking. Yeah. Um, what's extraordinary is that even after that defeat last night, um, she thinks that the way forward is somehow to persuade uh, Brussels, inverted commas, meaning Ireland to modify the backstop and make it temporary and therefore worthless uh, which isn't going to happen. And she's also talked about Uh, talking with senior people from other parties, which is code for labor, but has not engaged in either uh, an effort to achieve a cross-party consensus or made an effort to negotiate with the Scottish Parliament and the Welsh Assembly. The Northern Ireland Assembly isn't functioning partly because of her alliance with the DUP. She's done none of those things that would be necessary to build a a broad consensus. That's why I, I fully expect if anything does happen, uh, Parliament to take matters out of her hand by yeah. building a parallel committee that would operate outside uh, the cabinet.
1: Eric, your thoughts?
0: I, uh, I, I think that's true. And the only thing that that I would underscore in this conversation is part of what keeps Theresa May alive as prime minister uh, is that there's no one who really wants to accept that chalice. I mean, the, the, the position itself is too, too poisonous. So having Parliament take over, I mean, but but we come back to the issue of time. If Parliament were to try to take over the negotiation on this, it would be a much more cumbersome procedure. And I just, I keep wondering how we get through the European deadline. I
2: I don't expect any negotiations, Eric. I expect surrender. Mm -hmm. Uh, and The the, the surrender takes two forms. Either it takes the form of saying, let's remain, let's uh, cut our losses and retreat for another day or it means accepting the uh, provisions that Michel Barnier put forward uh, at an earlier stage that would allow them Mm. to exercise some kind of Norwegian option. So their their choice is surrender um, or um, face the possibility of a hard exit.
1: And then the next step would be to wait for the white smoke to come up from number 10, Downing (laughs) Street, right? Indeed. Exactly. Great to have you both with us. Thank you, Brendan. Thank you, Eric. All the best. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Brandon O'Leary from here at the University of Pennsylvania. Eric Jones from Johns Hopkins University.
0: For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.